Act One, Part Two of The Show Off by George Kelly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act One, Part Two. Joe coming in from the kitchen, mimicking Aubrey's laugh. Ha ha ha. He passes his mother without seeing her. Mrs. Fisher coming out of the alcove. Shush! Don't let him hear you, Joe. Joe turns and looks at his mother, then continues across the left to the hall door. Is he going? Mrs. Fisher following Joe to the center of the room. At last. Joe glances out into the hallway. Don't let him see you now, Joe, or we'll have him here for another hour. Joe starting up the stairs. I'm going to bed. Joe! Joe, leaning back and looking. What? Come here. Amy can be heard giggling in the hallway. Joe comes back to his mother. What? Mrs. Fisher, very confidentially. What was that he was saying here tonight about discovering something to keep rust out of iron and steel? Joe, very much amused. Wasn't that a scream? That's what you're always talking about, ain't it? Yes, I was talking to him about it one night here, while he was waiting for Amy to come down, and he's forgot where he heard it. Can you imagine? I was wondering if you were getting that tonight. No, it never struck me till afterwards. Joe, with a shade of seriousness. Did you get what he said tonight, Mom? Now you know I never pay attention to what he says. Joe, turning away, laughing. <laughs> He's a bird. He goes to the hall door and looks out into the hall. Don't let him see you now, Joe. The vestibule door is shut. He goes up the stairs. His mother follows him to the hall door. You'd better close that window at the head of your bed, Joe, and not have it blowing in on you all night. She glances out into the hallway, then steps to the parlor door, opens it quietly, and glances in and then starts across towards the right. The front door closes out in the hallway, then the vestibule door. Mrs. Fisher glances over her right shoulder toward the hallway, then continues to the kitchen door. Just as she reaches the kitchen door and glances out, the parlor door is flung open and Amy comes in. She takes a couple steps towards the middle of the room, then stands still, looking bitterly at her mother. Mrs. Fisher speaks without looking at her. Did you put that light out in there? Amy, in a quiet rage. That was a nice trick you people did tonight. Her mother turns and looks at her. What? Everybody walking out of the room while Aubrey was talking? What did you want us to do? Sit here all night listening to him? You wouldn't have had to sit there all night listening to him. He was only in here five minutes. Mrs. Fisher, moving back towards the center table. That's no thanks to him. He'd have been here till morning if somebody didn't do something. Amy swinging to the mirror over the mantelpiece. I was never so mortified in my life. Mrs. Fisher standing above the center table. Oh, don't waste your sympathy, Amy. He don't have to have anybody listen to him. He'd talk to the wall if there wasn't anybody else around. Amy coming forward at her mother's right. What did Pop get into such a temper about? Mrs. Fisher getting mad. 
because he hit him on the back. That was a lot to get mad about. Well, he's always hitting somebody on the back or the shoulder or someplace else. And your father said the next time he did it, he'd walk out of the room. He can't say two words together without hitting somebody someplace. Well, I'll bet you won't get a chance to insult him again, Mom. I'll tell you that. She flounces down to the armchair at the extreme right. Then let him stop his silly talk, and he won't get insulted. Sign on the dotted line every two minutes and talking about Shakespeare. She crosses to the parlor door. What kind of going on is that for a sensible man? She slams the parlor door shut and moves up to the hall door to listen for Mr. Fisher. It's no wonder our Joe says he's a nut. Oh, everybody's a nut with the people around here. Mrs. Fisher coming back towards the center table. Oh, it ain't only the people around here that says it. Everybody that knows him says it. Amy makes a sound of derisive amusement. You needn't laugh, for it's true. Amy turning sharply to her mother. Who do you know that knows him? I know Frank Highland. Amy is puzzled for the fraction of a second. You mean Clara's husband? Yes, I mean Clara's husband. Oh, don't make up a lie, Mom. Frank Highland never saw Aubrey Piper. Oh, didn't he? No, he didn't. Well, now, my lady, you're so smart. He knows him better than you do. I don't believe it. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. He knows him just the same. He's been looking at him for years down at that restaurant at 15th and Arch where he eats his lunch, and he says he's as crazy as a bass singer. Amy whirling on her mother. I suppose that's what Clara was here to tell you, was it? What does it matter who was here to tell it, Amy, if it's true? Amy stepping up close to her mother. Well now, listen, Mom. I want to tell you something right now. You tell our Clara for me the next time you see her to mind her own damn business. She taps the back of the chair twice with her knuckles, emphasizing the words damn and business. As far as Aubrey Piper is concerned. Mrs. Fisher, before Amy has finished speaking. Oh, don't fly into a temper if anybody speaks to you. She turns and crosses hurriedly to the hall door to listen. Amy stamping her foot. Well, then don't speak to me about things that put me in a temper. You're not frightening anybody around here. She looks up the stairs and listens. No, and nobody around here is frightening me, either. Our Clara took who she wanted, and I guess you took who you wanted. Mrs. Fisher moves steadily forward at the left, to a point in front of the lower left-hand corner of the center table. And if I want Aubrey Piper, I'll take him. Mrs. Fisher, taking Amy's tone. Well, take him, then, and the sooner the better, for it's a pity to spoil two houses with you. She leans forward a little bit on the table and speaks with a steady precision. Only remember this, Amy. If you do take him, be sure that you keep him and that he keeps you. Amy looks at her keenly. 
and don't be coming around here crying for your pop to keep you. Amy, with a sound of amused derision, and flouncing down to the armchair at the right. Don't make me laugh. You can laugh all you like. There's a lot of that kind of laughing going on these days. But they change their tune as soon as the rent begins to come due. And it's the mothers and fathers that has to listen to the changed tune. But nothing'll do but they'll get married. Amy pinning her mother with a quick look. You got married, didn't you? Yes, I did. Amy turning away again. Well? To a man that was able to keep me. Amy back to her mother again. And how do you know that Aubrey Piper won't be able to keep his wife? Because I know what he earns. She strikes the table with her fist. And it isn't enough. Amy stamping her foot. Oh, don't go making up things, Mom. You don't know anything about what he earns. Mrs. Fisher with measured emphasis. He earns a hundred and fifty dollars a month and not a penny more, for Frank Highland says so. What does Frank Highland know about it? He knows what he does. His business takes him in there all the time. And what does he say he does? Why, he says he's a clerk, of course. Amy makes a sound of amusement. Like a hundred others down there. That shows how much he knows about it. But I suppose he told you he owns the Pennsylvania Railroad. Well, I'd take his word before I'd take Frank Highland's. Her mother looks at her narrowly, and there is a pause. Mrs. Fisher significantly. Why would you take his word before you would take Frank Highland's? Well, why shouldn't I? Mrs. Fisher losing her temper. Because he's a fool of a blatherskite. That's only your opinion, Mom. It's the opinion of everybody that ever listened to him. But you'd believe him before you'd believe the word of a steady, sensible man. I don't know anything about Frank Highland. You know he's been your brother-in-law for five years. And what do you know about this other clown? Well, what do you want to know about him? I don't want to know anything about him. I know all I want to know about him, but before I'd get the name of having a fellow coming to see me steady, there's a few things I'd want to know about him, I'll tell you that. She turns away and takes a step towards the back of the room. I've told you where he lives and where he works. What else do you want to know about him? There's no use talking to you, Amy. No, and there's no use talking to you either. Mrs. Fisher turning to her sharply. This fellow's got you so crazy mad about him that I believe you'd take him if you knew he had a wife and a family somewhere and not two cents in his pocket. She moves towards the mantelpiece at the back, removing her spectacles. Well, I guess we'd get along some way, even if I did. All right. Everybody else does. Mrs. Fisher turning upon Amy in a rage and wiping the glasses in her apron. That's a kind of talk that leaves them living in the garrets and back at their jobs ten days after the wedding. Oh, you talk as though everybody that was married was starving to death. 
Mrs. Fisher, lifting the glasses towards Amy with a quiet, knowing gesture. There are ways of starving to death, Amy, besides not getting enough to eat. With a change to great shrewdness of tone and manner. And the funny part of it is, Amy, like a lot of others, you're very shrewd about money while you're at home as far as what you give your mother and father is concerned. But the minute some clown with a flower in his coat and patent leather shoes winks at you, you seem to forget there's such a thing in the world as a ton of coal. Crossing suddenly above the table towards Amy, in quite a surge of temper, and then it's just as clara says it's your people that has to come to the rescue amy furiously i wish i'd been here while she was talking i bet i told her a thing or two oh you needn't try to turn it on to clara she wasn't talking at all amy stamping her foot she must have been talking she simply asked me where you were, and I told her you were getting dressed, that this fellow was coming here tonight. So then she told me that Frank Highland knew him, and where he worked, and what he got, and all about him. She turns away and moves to the left. There's a slight pause. Amy, half crying. I just take him for spite now. Mrs. Fisher comes to a stop, and turns slowly, and looks at her. Well, let me tell you, Amy, the day a girl that's used to spending money the way you do takes a $35 a week man, the only one she's spitin' is herself. She moves slowly to the mantelpiece at the back and puts her glasses down definitely, then turns and starts to remove her apron. There'll be no more permanent waves after that. She rolls her apron up. You can make up your mind to that. She flings the rolled apron onto the sofa at the right of the mantelpiece and commences to unfasten the old-fashioned brooch in the front of her house dress. Nor fifty-dollar beaded dresses, neither. Amy in a crying temper. Well, I'd never bother anybody around here if I needed anything. I'll tell you that. Maybe you won't. I won't. You needn't worry. Mrs. Fisher with a bitter levelness. Time'll tell that, Lady Jane. I've heard the likes of you before. She detaches the brooch and goes to the hall door, glancing out into the hallway, then turns and looks back at Amy. Put out that light and go to bed. It's twelve o'clock. She goes up the stairs. Amy stands for a second, fuming over at the right. Then she swings suddenly to the middle of the room and stops, with her hands on her hips, irresolute. Then she comes forward and stands above the table, thinking. As she clasps her hands together, she becomes conscious of the ring in her hand. She tiptoes to the hall door, stands, listening for a second, then looks up. Then she hurries back to the center table, looks at the ring, slides it onto the third finger of her left hand, and holds it so that the diamond will catch the light from the chandelier but the reflection is evidently unsatisfactory. So, with a furtive glance toward the hall door, she shifts her position to a point nearer the table lamp and holds her hand so that the ring will reflect that light. The curtain commences to descend slowly, and she stands, holding her hand at arm's length, lost in the melting wonder of her engagement ring. The curtain is down. 
End of Act 1, Part 2 End of Act 1, 